Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Ben Stoddard. I'm Ray Greenley. And I'm Mark Zelinsky. Welcome to another episode of Countercharge. And we have another special episode that I'm really excited about tonight because, well, if you haven't heard, Kings of War has had its first audiobook release. We have a very special guest with us tonight, Ray Greenlee. So, the voice of said audiobook. Ray, this is your first time on Countercharge. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the Countercharge audience? Thanks, Mark and Ben. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I'm Ray Greenlee, audiobook narrator, uh, part time, uh, stay at home dad the rest of the time to my seven kids. And we stay busy over here, and I still still do find some time to record, thanks to uh, my wife, who uh, also works from home. I don't know how things are going to go this fall when everybody's at school, and school is being at home <laughs> this year because of COVID. Uh, but we'll make sure we get the recording done. I got to record the Kings of War audiobook, uh, Steps to Deliverance, which is how I got on the show here. I have been a gamer, though, uh, for pretty much my entire life. My dad was a SPI wargamer back in the day, so I was around uh, some of his wargamers. I remember him, wargames. I remember him teaching me, uh, like, Ogre back when I was probably about 10 or 11. And uh, I played lots of games growing up with friends, had uh, access to computer games. Uh, I've done all sorts of gaming um, all through my life, uh, including uh, in college, when I got started on some of the more modern uh, Euro uh, board games with some people there and uh, miniature wargaming in the form of a uh, World War II naval's, naval warfare miniatures game that one of the uh, professors uh, was running. We would uh, have our dorm and we would clear all the furniture in one of the common rooms to the sides and have our little ships with our protractors and our tape measures and uh, pretty much use the entire room for our ocean to uh, to fight uh, mostly Italians versus British in the World War II uh, Mediterranean theater. So that was my, my first introduction to miniatures gaming and had a lot of fun and very, very late nights with with that. So, Ray, did you guys use the golf tees with the uh, shots when they hit? I played a lot of World War II Naval in college, too. <laughs> so. No, no, never did, never did that. But um, You didn't use the golf? How did you guys mark the shots? Oh, we, we um, I guess the system, the system that we used was based on another system that I can't remember right now. I think Harpoon, the, the professor, it was like a, a modified system. So we, we never actually had access to all of the rules because he, I guess, didn't feel like it was his place to share them. And so uh, the the game didn't need to we didn't need to mark shots uh, for however it worked, um, but we would um, definitely be measuring a lot of distance, seeing how many estimated shots we had at a certain distance and roll a die to see how many you get and then have to see uh, what those hits do with a big uh, critical hit table and all the wonderful stuff that you get in a, in a historical miniatures game. Yeah, well, we took did you ever play Avalon Hills Jutland? No, never played that one. 
Oh, we took that and put that on the floor too. So, <laughs> so I had a good time in college. So sorry to uh, interrupt your mojo there, but hey, I have not. I uh, had many guests on the show that actually uh, pushed the furniture aside and played. Uh, oh yeah, you know, almost true scale uh, uh, World War II ship games. Yeah, so. we had the, the cotton balls. So when you when you laid out smoke, we could actually put out the, yeah. the cotton balls so that you have your smoke line and uh, the. <laughs> Fun part of uh, plotting torpedo path. So you'd have to mark where you were when you fired the torpedoes. And then three or four rounds later, when they actually got close to the mark so that you could roll for like a 5% shot of maybe landing a torpedo hit. There's a reason that we often went into the three, four, five o'clock in the morning or getting light out before those games actually finished. But it was a good time. Not like a miniatures games these days that uh, they want to actually finish it up in a reasonable three or four hours something like that anyway after uh, after that um i was uh, heavy into board gaming and video gaming um as i uh, finished with college and got married and then after a few years of of that sort of ended up moving away from the video games and being more heavily into board games um until a few years ago i actually about a year and a half ago, some of my friends finally got me to start uh, painting miniatures. And so I was initially doing some of my board game miniatures. And then just a couple months ago with the uh, Rune Wars miniatures game uh, having been discontinued and went on a really big clearance sale, me and one of my friends bought into that. And so recently I've finally got into my first modern miniatures game uh, with uh, with the Rune Wars figures, uh, so that I can play with like my my kids and my friend, even though no official support, but hey, the models are still there and the rules still work, so don't need to have any official tournaments just to have fun with the game. So that's been uh, miniatures gaming has actually come back into my life here very recently. So it was kind of cool to um, to have the opportunity to talk to you guys and and uh, you know sort of become a involved with the uh, Kings of War world as I as I had the opportunity to with the audiobook. And that's pretty much where I am now. With all your board gaming and everything like that, did you ever listen to the Dice Tower podcast? Oh, I've been listening to the Dice Tower podcast for a long time. And actually, I have a small claim to fame uh, with the Dice Tower podcast is in that um, I was the one who was running the diplomacy game that uh, for some of the hosts of the, pod, the Dice Tower world, like uh, Eric and uh, we had Stephen Bonacore and uh, a few other people where this is a number of years ago, I think 2014, maybe where we ended up pranking Tom by making him think that everybody was really getting mad at each other about the game. And uh, on the show itself, Eric revealed to him that it was all just a, a prank on him. And it was a, it was a really fun moment <laughs> that uh, was my, my small claim to dice tower fame. There you go. Well, I was on the show for about oh, what, here he comes, here's Mark Zielinski, he's got his own theme song. Mark Zielinski, everyone! Yeah, I remember. Were you listening when we uh, had Eric take over the show? Yeah, yep, I remember that. That was those were some really fun. Yeah, <laughs> that that was actually voted the worst dice tower moment and favorite dice tower moment in the same poll one year. That was hilarious. So. Well, some, some, something you learn when you're doing this sort of thing is you will never please everybody. So just do what you feel and uh, and uh, do as best you can. Fantastic. Well, you know, Eric records uh, audiobooks and stuff like that. So have you had some chats with him or have you done any collaborations or anything? Or Not collaborations, but I did, um, I did check in with him a little bit when I was first getting started uh, to get a little bit of advice. And uh, I've talked to him at conventions. 
uh, about it. And it's kind of fun to talk shop with him. I mean, he was sort of part of the inspiration, uh, which I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself here for me getting started in audiobooks, where, you know, hearing him and hearing him talk about it certainly made me think about the possibility of doing it more back when when I did get started. So it was, uh, you know, really neat to be able to, you know, then talk to him about it. Like this past PAX, I had listened to one of his books and I got to ask him some questions about some of the decisions he made uh, while he was recording it. And uh, so it's definitely a, a, another fun way to um, to be able to relate. It was really enjoy talking to Eric. Yeah, we're, we're going to get into that right after our hobby updates. So, Ben, what have you been up to in the hobby here during lockdown? Anything exciting? Uh, so I don't know if you've been watching the Mantic website, but they've been doing a project. In fact, they just barely posted at the time of this recording the second update for it, the Painters of Panathor. So I've been working on um on my Night Stalker army, and like I said, don't tell Mantic, but I've got a non-Mantic dragon that I'm using for a Void Lurker, mainly because I'd, I've already painted a Fiend, uh, the Abyssal Fiend, which is probably the closest thing to what a Void Lurker is technically supposed to look like. While I enjoyed that process, there's there's a bunch of other cool models out there that I decided to look at, and so I have this really cool like chaos dragon that I've that I've got that I've had sitting on my paint table for a little while now, and I figured he makes the best looking void lurker for me. So I'm I'm painting him up. I'm working on a regiment of butchers. I've just finished a horde of scarecrows and some butcher or uh, some reapers. I'm just all over the place right now. I'm really focusing on trying to get that done because we're we've committed to doing two updates a month and the next one's due the 17th of September. So I'm trying to get something new to post with that. Uh, I feel like I'm getting involved in these hobby painting like challenges far too frequently right now because I haven't even had a chance to really play with the last one that I finished. So, but um, that's what's on my painting desk right now. I was also going to point out to Ray that, you know, those, uh, those rune war minis work great for Kings of war. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd heard a little bit about that, and so it was uh, definitely something that uh, I think I'll probably explore at some point. I gotta see if whether I've got enough Rune Wars to make a Kings of War army, since I don't know much about how how many models you really need. But uh, it's nice to have that flexibility, and I certainly wouldn't mind giving Kings of War a try. So good to have models that'll work for both games. Well, anytime you want to talk about model count and stuff like that, I'm more than willing to help you <laughs> with that. Absolutely free rules for available for download on the Mantic website. <laughs> I'll have to look into that for sure. Hey, real quick, Ben, before we move on to Ray, uh, how'd you pick orange for your color scheme? So I didn't want to do the usual purple that, because that was one of the things that Joe was saying, Joe Neat, who's running it, was saying is that we, he wanted something different than kind of creative to kind of get the, the hobby mojo going for people who are reading the blog and stuff like that. And I'd already agreed to to do Night Stalkers, and I hadn't decided on what my theme was or what my story behind the army was going to be. And then I was sitting there one night watching my wife play. Uh, she bought the um, the PS4 updated version of the the old PlayStation game Medieval 2, where you play a little skeleton that runs around, and it's kind of it's it's like a Crash Bandicoot, but a little bit more undead themed kind of thing. And she was playing that, and she came across this one level, and it just was all these – it was this Halloween town kind of thing. It was out in the fields, and the color orange just kind of struck me how how cool it looked in the in the situation. And so I decided I was going to try and emulate that color scheme. 
And uh, it kind of came out that way. It's more of a rusty sunset red than an than a bright, vibrant orange. But I'm also liking how it works with the purple that I put for like their for like the tentacles and stuff like that and the mist on the bases and things like that. So it worked out well for me. And that's how I chose that color. And you, of course, you know, I never do anything without a lengthy backstory that I can go into on another episode or something like that. If we ever get that low on the barrel and start scraping that end of it, but there's a long backstory as to what goes behind my theme and all that kind of stuff too. Very, very cool. Yeah. I know Felix is working on his abyssal dwarves. He picked a yellow and purple theme i think something like that so very very interesting yeah there's a lot of very talented painters and a lot of bases i noticed in this update so yeah one thing i noticed is or i made the comment to the to the other group of painters is you know you've crossed a certain line whether that's good or bad when you start spending as much on your basing materials as you do on the actual models for the army so i know i've crossed that line well, if you look at the latest Luke's APS, he tells you that his favorite part is doing the bases. So, and he spends the whole first video on his Praetorian army doing the bases. So, basically, so it was pretty funny. So, rumors, Ray. So, uh, I thought I heard you mention you were painting. So, what what's on your hobby desk right now? Uh, right now, I'm working on a unit of the uh, Decon Spearmen. So, there's four different. Uh, I got. Uh, two sets that come in the base set because my friend and I each got a core set and he gave me all the humans. I gave him all the undead. So I have 32 of these spearmen to do. And I've so far painted of Rune Wars, um, two of the Rune Golems and then uh, a hero unit that I picked up, uh, Lord Hawthorne, if anyone wants to look that up. And uh, so the hero unit and the big, you know, Rune Golem, I wanted to still put some pretty good effort into trying to make it look pretty good. um, Even though I'm, not a very fast painter. I don't have a ton of time to sit down and paint. I don't have a dedicated area, so I always have to like set everything up if I want to paint. I, I don't, and I wanted to actually be able to finish this someday. So I don't want to spend as much time, like about a month and a half for the two giant rune golems, and then about three weeks for the Lord Hawthorne figures. I don't want to spend that much time on these spearmen. So I'm hoping now to be able to push myself towards a faster uh, painting production. I still want them to look pretty good, so I'm not going for just slap on some paint and get them table ready. I, I do want them to look pretty nice, but now I have eight of those 32 spearmen that I've, I'm sort of doing the same element on each one of them in a line to sort of get and hopefully get into a groove and, uh, and we'll see. I think I'm making pretty good progress so far. I've got most of the armor painted with uh, some of the trim on it. I'm going with basic sort of uh, color schemes being sort of new to painting a, a miniatures game, I'm not to the point where I'm bored by the the basic uh, sort of art book uh, color schemes. So I still have fun trying to match them so that they look like they do in the book. And I'm also not planning on going to any tournaments where I'm going to be, you know, seeing other people with the same color scheme. So I'm just working on trying to get that, get them looking good like they do in the book. And I think my son seems like he was who's going to be playing the humans um, when we play uh, here at home uh, seem to be interested in that, too. Uh, so just this evening, I um, snuck in a little time before dinner um, trying to paint some gold trim on the on the armor for them, which is slow, careful work. So I don't mess up the stuff I've already done and have to go back and fix things. Uh, but I'm making making pretty good progress. And that's uh, 
and hopefully we'll see. I'll be able to finish those up hopefully uh, within a couple of weeks and start working on another set of a uh, set of spearmen. Very, very cool. So what do you think, Ben? Uh, 32 spearmen. That sounded like kingdoms of men to me, something like that. That sounds like plenty of figures, right? I agree. Heck, you could even throw that because I know which spearman you're talking about, and that could even be Basilean or Basilian or. We're going to get into that later. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. A little foreshadowing there. But uh, yeah, you you know what? You're right. Basilean Army would be very cool. So, And then for myself, for hobby, well, uh, actually, if you listen to our last episode on the hobby burnout, uh, my daughter did cave in and did some hobby with her dear old dad. So I was really happy about that. We took a night and uh, building some miniatures. And uh, we built a bunch of the ones we picked up at the GW shop uh, when we were out in San Francisco a couple years ago. And so we were kind of working on those. Uh, she picked up those um, evocators or something like that on the Dracolines. I mean, those big, I don't know what kind of beasties they are, kind of like a panther versus a dinosaur or combination. So uh, she was really into that. And then um, Colin had a bunch of the models that he picked up that he was going to put in his undead army. And then he, you know, petered out on me there. So I built uh, one of the heroes with the flying undead Pegasus. So I've kind of got an idea of possibly uh, putting him in as the vampire on Pegasus. I know he's not the best, but hey, I got an undead Pegasus, so I need to do something with it. So. So it's sitting over there. I'm looking at it right now. So it was really, really nice. Nothing better than gaming with your kids and uh, modeling with your kids. So I'm really happy to say that. So I'm looking forward to my next hobby night. And uh, as we're recording this, this is a Friday of Labor Day weekend. So very, very happy uh, that I'm planning on getting in some more hobby time on Monday. So hopefully I'm going to actually get a day off sometime over a holiday weekend for once to, you know, just enjoy a little time to myself, so it's uh, going to be good. So hopefully we're running somebody on After Dark, which would be terrific. So Speaking of uh, hobbying uh, with the kids, um, some of my kids, having seen me sitting there painting, have wanted to get into it. And so here recently, both my uh, seven-year-old and my five-year-old have both wanted to to start learning to paint. So I got gave them some of my old brushes, or I got actually got some brushes for my seven-year-old daughter uh, who wanted to do wanted to do it. And got some bones for them, and they've been uh, painting alongside me sometimes, working on their own own little figures, picking out their own paints from what I have, and it's it's been really cool. And there's they're still enthusiastic about about trying it and trying to make you know get a trying to teach them some of the techniques, like all right now do a wash or do some dry brush, and uh, and they're having a good time, starting them young. I, I tell you that the best thing I ever did is I got I've been involved in the last two bones Kickstarters and I always make sure I get a, a corset because it's inexhaustible bottomless pit of just models I can throw at my kids to because they love to come and paint with that and so I always have a bunch of inexpensive models that I can just give them and they can go to town on them and they can burn there's nowhere they're gonna be able to burn through them all so it's it's good bonding time. That's awesome. I got a uh, clue for both of you. They grow up and they want their own army. So get ready. (laughs) (laughs) So save your pennies. So, uh, oh, it's a great time. I love gaming with my kids. I love spending hobby time with them. That is just uh, absolutely time to really cherish as they're growing up. And I hope to continue this tradition even after they move. So, but, uh, and we'll get that in. I remember back, uh, well, my brother and I, after we moved out, we would go back and 
we visit my parents for Thanksgiving or something. We had Necromunda Thanksgiving, so that was always a good time for a while. So, ah, uh, nothing like gaming with the family. It's great going to tournaments and stuff, but you know they say that the most Kings of War players never see a tournament. They're all playing at home in the basement. So. Very, very cool. All right. Well, hey, why don't we go ahead and slide into a quick commercial break? We're going to come back on the other side, and we're going to jump into our main topic, the Steps to Deliverance audiobook. And welcome back. All right. Well, I am very, very excited to say that we have our very first Kings of War audiobook, and it's available on Audible. And, Ray, is it available anywhere else, or is it just on Audible right now? Uh, I believe you can get it other places, at least probably like iTunes, of course, on Amazon, which is the same thing as Audible. i got to be honest, I'm not 100% sure how far it spreads out. We, um, If you want to get into the uh, the weeds too much of uh, how this works, but we did a, a new distribution model for this audiobook through uh, a distributor called Dreamscape. And uh, I believe it is out in other places. But I haven't hunted it down, and I haven't talked to um, my contact at Wing Hazar, uh, Vincent, to ask him where else it might be. So might just have to look for it. But uh, it is at least very much on Audible, um, which for my money is the easiest place to go and get it anyway. So you can at least find it there. Absolutely. Well, originally they were telling us that it was going to be available for download from the website. So that's how I thought it was going to come out. So I never dreamed it was going to be on Audible. So I was very, very excited when it showed up there. We definitely were exploring some new uh, distribution uh, methods for this one. So it, it sort of went through a few different uh, ideas before we, we settled on, well, or Vincent really settled on working with Dreamscape. Uh, so there were there were definitely some different options that were that were uh, tossed around uh, while we're while I, while I was recording and we're figuring out how to uh, how to get it out there to people. This is fascinating. So we want to kind of dive into that. So but I see Ben's got a load of questions. So, Ben, I'm going to turn the show over to you here and we'll uh, go from there. Sounds good. All right. Well, Ray, for starters, I enjoyed the audiobook. I just finished it um, two days ago. Uh, it was a great thing to have while I was sitting at my hobby desk and working through some of the stuff that I just talked about I was working on. Thanks, I really enjoyed, you enjoyed it. it. Thank you. Glad you enjoyed it. So I wanted to I wanted to get a little bit of background from you just mm-hmm. on this general area. Uh, so I had a couple background questions that I wanted to ask you to get started. Um, first off, let's go ahead and start with the obvious one. How did you get started in this industry? Uh, and were you always drawn to being a storyteller? Or is this something that you kind of stumbled into? Uh, yeah, I I think I I was kind of always drawn to it. For a long time, I had sort of had this itch that I wanted to try acting, um, and for quite a while, had no idea how I would get started in that without you know going to like a school and taking classes. Which you know by the time I was out of college and married and working wasn't really going to be an option. But then I did for the area we live I live in um, out in the suburbs of Philadelphia saw that a uh, community theater nearby had posted uh, audition dates along with the show dates. And it made me think, well, hey, maybe this is something I can just go and audition for. And it turns out, yeah, that's how that works with volunteer theater. So uh, I went, I auditioned, and I got in a show. This was um, in 2008, I believe. And it was um, a lot of uh, learning, on the, uh, learning on the go. I've had some very... Uh, fortunate to have some really great uh, other cast members to help me figure out 
all the how theater works. But uh, every year, uh, once or twice a year after that, I was able to get into another show at the theater. And so sort of learn how to act. And also around that time, I started listening to audiobooks myself, uh, something that I always kind of wanted to do. And then finally got an MP3 player and got an Audible account and started off listening to Michael Kramer and Kate Redding read by Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn books uh, or listening to Nick Podell read Wise Man's Fear from Patrick Rothfuss and was really just engaged to that method of storytelling. It really drew me in and I was always thinking, oh, man, it would be so great to be able to to do this, you know, use sort of what I'm learning of acting and be able to produce books like that when uh, you know as my family at the time had only only had uh, one kid at the time and we uh, kept growing it never really seemed like it was going to be a very easy thing to do I'm sure you guys know hard to hard to do this sort of stuff when you have uh, small kids around the house uh, but eventually you know I talked about it with my wife and she uh, gave me her blessing and I actually took some voiceover courses with a company here in Philadelphia and had heard about from another guy I knew through the theater of this website called acx.com, which is basically a place where people who want an audiobook of their uh, work, their book that they've published, made, can go and find people who want to record the audiobook. So I took my voiceover classes, signed up for an account on ACX, and started sending out auditions for books. And was very fortunate that uh, within a couple of weeks, I had an author who uh, wanted me to record their book for them. And that was the start. And I've been recording audiobooks ever since. That was 2014, if I remember correctly. So it's been coming on six years. Wow, six years. Jeez. <laughs> uh, hardly feels like it's been that long. In some ways, it feels like it's been longer. Yeah, I started recording audiobooks, uh, learning about that whole other world. And it's sort of where I've certainly found my my niche in the voiceover world, and I'm really happy to be able to keep on doing it. Uh, that's where I got started. And then uh, a part of uh, doing this sort of thing is, uh, you know, always trying to find new work. And uh, I was working with a coach who encouraged me to go out to other places beyond ACX to find it. And I remember uh, at the time I was listening to plenty of uh, gaming podcasts, including the D6 Generation podcast with uh, Russ Wakelin and Craig Gallant. And I heard Craig uh, talking about having uh, published his uh, book through Winged Hazar Publishing and mentioning them several times. And I thought to myself, man, wouldn't it be awesome if I could narrate Craig's book? That would be like after having listened to them for years and enjoying like sort of getting to know them through the podcast, that would it would really uh, felt like it would be a neat thing to do. So I looked it up and there was no audiobook of it. And I looked up the publisher and I sent uh, an email to uh, Wing Tazar Publishing saying, hey, I'm an audiobook narrator and uh, I think it would be cool to be able to narrate an audiobook of this. And uh, most of the time you send those emails out and you don't hear anything back or maybe in a week or two you get a, some sort of vague uh, acknowledgement. But in this case, uh, emailing Wing Tazar, I got an email back almost immediately from Vincent uh, Respond, uh, who uh, runs the company, uh, saying, that sounds great. When can we have a call to talk about it? And it was a, wow. It was a really uh, gratifying and, uh, and response to uh, what is a, essentially a cold email. Uh, again, uh, not, not the normal response, but uh, it really worked out. 
so I talked to Vincent and he seemed uh, interested in moving forward with audiobooks. And we didn't start with Craig's book, which, by the way, is Legacy of Shadow, uh, a really fun sci-fi uh, space opera type uh, type book. But uh, we did start with uh, some other books that they had uh, started publishing called The uh, Great Martian War Books by Scott Washburn, which is sort of a continuation of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. So in War of the Worlds, uh, spoiler alert, it's only been 100 years or so. I think you probably had opportunity to read it. The Martians uh, attack England and end up getting uh, wiped out by uh, viruses and bacteria. Uh, and so Great Martian War picks up after that, where the Martians come back to make a more global invasion. And so that's where uh, I started uh, with with Winged Hazar. And then after doing a couple of those books, uh, Vincent said, hey, now it's probably be a good time for uh, for Craig's Legacy of Shadows. Recorded that one. And uh, really, uh, since then, I've been doing a couple books a year for Winged Tazar, uh, developed a really great relationship with, with Vincent, met him a few times at some local conventions since uh, they're based out of New Jersey, so they're really not that far from me. So we got to, to meet them and hang out with them, uh, the Winged Tazar guys, a couple times. And now this uh, Steps Deliverance was uh, it's another continuation of that, where uh, Vincent was real excited about being able to publish books uh, from the Kings of War world and uh, wanted to be able to bring those to audio so we could expand the audience and give everyone another way of, uh, of listening. That's awesome. There's, there's a lot of stuff that I, I, I heard in your story that I'm like, wow, I can relate to that. I, I grew up on, on plays and all that kind of stuff. My, my mom was always dragging us and making me be, you know, tree number three in the background <laughs> and whatnot, all that kind of thing growing up. So that's awesome. That, that, that kind of was where you, so that's kind of where you got the, the, where you started scratching that itch kind of thing. And then it moved on from there. Uh, and I, I just pulled up the ACX website. I'm going to look into that. That's, that's a really cool, it's a really cool story to see how, how it evolved into where it is now. And it's funny that you mentioned Scott, because I know he's, uh, he's working on some stuff for uh, Kings of war, I believe right now. That's very, well, we'll see what, where it goes. I know he's, he's, <laughs> He got his fingers in a couple of pies with uh, with Wing Tassar. So, and he's been on the show with us too for his short story that he wrote for the anthology. Um, and just he he's a really cool guy. So I'm glad that he that you you got to work with some of his material. Yeah, I've um, I've you know met with Scott a few times as well, and really enjoy both both his work as a as a writer and just uh, being around him. Uh, he, yeah, like I said, he's a he's a really great guy. And uh, yeah, he I guess I I know mostly about the Great Martian War work he's doing, but I'm not surprised at all that he's expanding out into other projects. So and like you alluded to, and I know Brandon has said that you are you've done some audio book work for Wingtasar in the past. And you like you just said that you have. Um, so what projects how have, the, how have those projects like the Great Martian War and um, and the other works you work how does that compare to working on steps to deliverance uh well i guess one of the the biggest differences obviously working in a fantasy world of an established ip uh well i i suppose you could say that great great martian war uh, war of the worlds is an established ip <laughs> but uh, uh not to the same extent as you know like uh, mantic games ip there was a lot more 
names to have to work through, which is uh, something that we're definitely going to be talking about, uh, I'm sure. But uh, like the the science fiction, um, the historical science fiction of the Great Martian War has like obviously a very different feel from like the uh, the high fantasy type world of of uh, Kings of War and Steps to Deliverance. So it's it like there's it just has a, a real different feel around like um in great martian war i'm working with like historical characters and in kings of war there's you know characters that are established in this world but obviously you know i don't have like a historical reference to to look at and and uh to get an idea what the character would be like so there's a lot more you know obviously that i have to sort of generate based on the writing to create the what this character would sound like not to mention all the, like I said, the different names and pronunciations that uh, <laughs> that I had to work through and uh, and get help on. Although in the Great Martian War books, I I do um, need to get help from the author Scott Washburn for his Martian pronunciations of Martian names because in his book he has uh, chapters and sections written from the Martian perspective. He's got some pretty interesting interesting names that um, I'm. Always glad to have help figuring out how to pronounce. I think I've got it after several have done several of his books. Um, I've got an idea of what they generally sound like, but uh, but yeah, there's a uh, usually three or four syllable names like Ketchnagardis and Clack Vanadu type <laughs> names that uh, are really fun to say but hard to figure out. That's awesome. Yeah, let's let's actually dig in a little bit more to what you're talking about there with the, with the pronunciation and stuff like that. I was gonna, it's something I've had a question about was, you know, with all the with all fantasy books and especially in a world like Kings of War, like you've alluded to, where it's an established IP, there's already a pre-built community that's already got their preconceived notions about certain things. Um, and one of the more interesting things that I remember somebody else mentioning about the audiobook was that you brought. There's been an ongoing debate, which I'm not sure you've been aware of. And here is how to pronounce Basileia. Is it Basileia or Basilia? And now we have a third contender from the audiobook of Basalia, which is a whole yeah, Basalia, which which uh, which was an interesting uh, an interesting thing. So how do you how do you deal with that? How do you um, so was there any coaching? Was there any? Did you get together with Mark Barber, or did you get a hold of anybody from Mantic to help you go through some of these things to kind of get an idea of how you should pronounce it, or so what I did when I was uh, reading through the book for the first time, I kept a, a, a notebook with me. And every time I came across a name uh, that was a part of the world, I'd write it down. And then I transcribed all of those into a Google sheet and uh, and uh, organized them and alphabetized them and then uh, sent it off to, to Mark Barber first saying, hey, uh, tell me how to pronounce these things. <laughs> uh, so he got to go in and give me pronunciations. Uh, and then for the bunch of them, he did left empty and said, so these are these other ones are Mantic Games ones. Uh, and then uh, Brandon uh, Respond uh, over at Wing Tazar was able to set me up. I was had the great opportunity to talk with uh, Matt Gilbert over at Mantic for for their names. And uh, through that, I had picked up uh, a little bit uh, of uh, the, the controversy about how to pronounce uh, certain things. Uh, but I feel like I went right to the source and so uh, can now help uh, maybe develop some more official pronunciations of, uh, of at least what uh, Mantic feels like these names should be pronounced as. So we do have the uh, hegemony of Basalia is, uh, is how they want it pronounced. 
And uh, once uh, once I got used to that, it was able to flow pretty well through the book. And uh, I guess everyone out there is welcome to uh, love it or hate it as they wish. There's a uh, no no pressure. You don't have to go along with the way I say it. But uh, I did get my pronunciation straight from Mantic. Uh, so <laughs> so I, I guess it's official. It's the one I'm going with. Uh, you, you go ahead and do what you want. There you go. That's Matt.Gilbert at ManticGames.com. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was really... We finally have the definitive answer as to how to pronounce it. Vesalia. Um, or Vesalia. So, yeah, it was, it was actually kind of interesting talking to him because I kind of got the feeling on some of the names. I mean, obviously, they, they knew what they wanted for um, Vesalia. Uh, but for some of them, it, it seems like they like some of the more obscure ones, probably they they hadn't actually like really settled on a pronunciation. So it seemed for a few of them, Matt seemed like he was sort of deciding what the official pronunciation would be as we were talking, because I'm sure, you know, you have uh, people drawing maps and writing things down and they come up with a name in their head. But if it's never actually discussed internally um, or put out there in any way, uh, it's it's fluid until you know, hopefully maybe perhaps this can be an instance where things can start getting locked down uh, with official pronunciations. But of course, you know, for your games at home or your reading or whatever, uh, you're always welcome to pronounce things however you like. Um, there's no no pronunciation police that are going to come and uh, and take your books away because you're pronouncing Vesalia wrong. That's awesome. OK, um, so. Adjacent to that topic, we also have the idea of the voices and the accents that mm -hmm. accompanied the, all the different characters and all that kind of stuff. So going along that same vein, was there like a specific uh, accent that uh, that Matt wanted you to use for the for the specific regions of the of the game? Or was that something that you were given free reign to kind of come up with what you felt was the correct accent for them? Yeah, this was actually really um uh, interesting decision for me when I got this book because I am obviously American, but uh, Mantic Games is based in the UK, and uh, Mark Barber, the uh, the author, is also uh, from the UK, British. So, and I could tell by when I was reading the book that there are definitely um, not a lot, but there are definitely some um, it's like turns of phrase uh, that are that are very British. So I had to make a decision about. How what's the best way to sort of honor the material? Right. Because that's in the end what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to bring like sort of the author's vision, um, the author's word to life for the listener. And I thought about just doing straight, you know, sort of more Americanized accents um, like I've done for for other books that I've done. But then I thought it would there would be these sort of awkward phrases that we don't use in the U.S. that they use in Britain that might sound sort of strange. And, you know, as a property that's based in Britain, it also sort of felt like it would be weird to then just sort of Americanize it completely. What I decided to end up doing, is, as you heard when you listened to it, was I did the narration part in my normal American narration voice. Part of that is because that narration voice really has to be like flowing and natural. And if I was trying to put an accent on that, then there's a much greater chance that it would be strained and the listener would be able to hear it no matter how hard I work on making it sound, sound good. There's, there's just going to be a dissonance that the listener is going to pick up and it's going to make, make listener uncomfortable, even if they can't even figure out necessarily why, not to mention native speakers who might get annoyed because, 
I'm not actually British, so I'm, my di- dialect is probably not going to be flawless. And so doing that for an entire book would probably get very tiring for them. But I still wanted to, like I said, honor the the origin of the property as a British British property. So I decided to do the character voices in British dialects. And uh, I did ask uh, both Mark and Matt, like if they had anything like in their mind of certain like dialects for certain regions of the world. And they said, no, you know, we don't really have anything in mind. So I pretty much had free reign. The only hints that I had from the text were Mark wrote that certain um, characters had sort of upper class clipped accents, uh, which spoke to me of a, you know, pretty uh, hard is called received pronunciation RP British dialect. Uh, So that's what I used for especially the like the higher class, the paladins and the lords of uh, Basalia. I went with a pretty uh, straight British RP accent. And then for some of the other characters, like I, I threw in just to be able to change things up and keep things differentiated. I did, you know, a few other other dialects like a Scottish in here or an Irish there um, or even I think I did a Cockney for a couple. I didn't want to have to lean too terribly hard on those. Uh, so uh, and because most of the characters sort of fit that characterization of the Basalian for class that uh, that I had settled on, that British RP, uh, most of them ended up having variations on that dialect. So, like I said, it, it was largely up to me and um, felt a lot of uh, responsibility to that choice. Uh, but hopefully it works uh, in the book uh, as uh, as you listen to it, that um, it's not too distracting, like switching between the dialects. It certainly took me a little longer to record as uh, sometimes switching gears from one dialect to the other, I had to sort of stop and recenter or, or I didn't quite get the dialect right for a line and I uh, had to go back and, and redo it because maybe I slipped into another one as I got, were flying around in my head. But, uh, you know, I feel pretty good about how it came out as is with, with all performance, especially audiobooks where you have one person playing all the characters. I mean, I'm hoping the listeners will acknowledge that I'm not actually British and I'm not actually all these other <laughs> from all these other places. And so if the, dialect has to at least convey the character if not be flawless and as a very last resort i always have uh the point that this isn't actually britain or ireland or scotland so if my accent isn't perfect to those areas well neither is the area that that person's actually from so it doesn't have to be perfect because it's a fantasy world anyway exactly no, it's it's good. You you did a very. I want to applaud you because you did a you did a good job of differentiating and giving each character a unique sound, so that I knew even if uh, even if I wasn't paying full attention to hear who was actually speaking, I could usually identify who it was by the by the voice that you gave them, and they were very very distinct. So that was that was something that was very um, it was well done. I, I I appreciated the effort that went into it. Um, I've listened to audiobooks where. The person doesn't try to give their characters voices and it doesn't quite work. I mean, even even if it isn't accents necessarily differentiating the way that they sound and all that kind of stuff is so important to helping to convey that character and to convey, you know, different things going on in the story. So I, I appreciate the work and the effort that went into it. It seems like this is definitely a, a labor of love for you and it's something that you put a lot of effort into. So, yeah, and it shows. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, it, that's that's definitely one of the goals I have, especially with a book like this, to give each character that unique voice. So, like you said, you can you can understand who's talking just from the way the voice sounds, uh, the character sounds. 
uh, rather than having to wait for the attribution tag. In audiobooks, there are narrators who like this is a whole different school and they can success school of thought and narration where you can uh, very successful narrators who just try to differentiate within a scene. Right. And they don't give each character that unique voice. But from the books that I was listening to when I was first listening to books and and how I feel, I I really it's important to me to try to get that get each of those characterizations, which can be difficult, especially in a, a book like Steps to Deliverance, which uh, if your listeners aren't uh, familiar with it, um, definitely has a like sort of a, a military style bent to the uh, to the story, like as far as the um, the overall feel of the story. And uh, something I've learned about that style of story, if you haven't read or to listen to too many of them before, um, they usually have a lot of speaking characters uh, that are, you know, sergeant such and such or, you know, captain such and such. Uh, that's just a part of the army who ne- not necessarily a, a large part of the story, but can be a consistent part of the story. Uh, from the beginning to end. And while it's not always possible to give each and every character like a, a wholly distinct voice, like if there's someone who's just speaking like once in the whole book or twice in the whole book, you might not give them the most put the most effort into giving them an entirely distinct voice. It still can be a challenge for this style of book with a, a pretty large body of sort of mid-level characters to make them all sound interesting and get that sensation of hearing the character and knowing who's speaking that you were talking about before. Uh, and I definitely had some of that challenge with, uh, <laughs> with steps to deliverance. Uh, and so it's very gratifying to hear that it worked out. And I, I appreciate the kind words is, uh, it was, like I said, definitely a goal of mine in working on it. So with, with that in mind, was there a character that you, that was maybe your favorite or a scene that your, was your favorite to record or to read or anything along those lines? As far as the scenes go, there are obviously a lot of really exciting uh, uh, battle scenes that are in there. But one thing that I appreciated from it, and it's, it's not too heavy as far as the, the theme of the book goals goes, but um, Mark definitely wrote an acknowledgement towards the, the human cost of war uh, in the book. So it's, it's not like 100 percent all, you know, uh, battle and glory. There's a notes in there talking about the cost that goes along to the people who are fighting it. And uh, I don't want to spoil too much, but there's a scene towards the beginning where the force is marching out and um, a family of one of the soldiers comes and uh, the soldier's kid uh, runs out to them uh, while they're marching out. Um, And then there's a callback to that later in the book that I thought was like a very powerful, especially when you're sort of in the, the end of the book. Again, I don't want to spoil too much, but the heroes don't all die. So you can (laughs) I think you'd probably be safe uh, hearing that. So as they're coming home uh, victorious, that uh, there's a callback to that scene. And for me, that was that was sort of a powerful moment that I thought really gave the book more depth that makes it more than than just a, a war story for, you know, people who enjoy uh, the miniatures game to uh, Kings of War to relate to, but gives the book um, some depth beyond that. Uh, so that's it's just a, a really small, like couple line moment. But for me, that was a standout standout moment of the book that I definitely uh, appreciated. As far as the characters go, the main character, I'm sort of I'm sort of a sucker for like a well, here we go again. I don't want to spoil too much for everybody, but the main character, Orion, uh, his arc is, is a one that I appreciated. Uh, and so I think he's 
probably my favorite character, although you know, there's there's a lot of really interesting characters that that develop in interesting ways throughout the book. But he's probably the one that that I uh, uh, enjoyed the most. Yeah, Mark, uh, Mark and I traded notes back and forth because he was he was about halfway through writing Steps to Deliverance when I started writing mine. And he and I started trading notes back and forth and it became real apparent real soon. I mean, Mark's in the Royal Navy, uh, so he is a soldier. Right. Mm-hmm. And he bases a lot. Of, and you can tell that from from his style of writing that he knows military jargon, all that kind of stuff. And and he he's very in the know of that of that world in a way that a lot of civilians might not understand or and puts in details for that thing. But one thing that really came through in the way that Mark, uh, Mark writes, uh, is that he is very much so, uh, he, he loves his family. He, he adores his kids and he put a lot of that into his story as well. And I, and I, I know which scene you're referring to both the beginning and at the end. And it, it is a very touching scene. And it is that I think sums up Mark's character very well because he wanted to make sure that kind of emotion is brought into it because I remember trading notes back and forth with him. And there's a scene in, in the, in my story that has something to do with a family uh, and I'm not going to give anything away about it, but uh, Mark wrote back and forth because we had differing views on, on that. And it became very apparent that Mark is very much about protecting and, and he's, he's a big time protector. He's a big time guardian uh, of of families of women and children and that kind of thing and 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 that gentlemanly uh, style of thinking and that definitely comes across in his writing so I I I know exactly what you're talking about and it, and it is a very it's a it's a cool thing that it that he tries to bring in that extra layer to it that it's not just a, this is not just a tie a movie tie in or a book tie in to the to the world but he actually tries to bring in characters that have that at least twist of realism and that, that real world push into his, into his stories. Yeah. As, as someone who is, was not, you know, as familiar with the property going into it, I mean, it, it really took me to the point of like, this isn't just a good Kings of war book. This is just a good book. You know, it gives it that more, that greater depth. And, um, and I think really makes it sort of, gives that uh, feeling that makes it uh, better for, you know, anyone to read and not just like, well, if you like Kings of War, read this book. No, this is, it's a good, it's just a good book. And uh, it has more to it than, like you said, just being a tie in. No, absolutely. And I, th- I think that's a, that's a really important thing. And I, having, and speaking with the other people working on Kings of War novels and stuff like that, I think that's a, that's a running theme that's trying to be carried throughout all the books. It's not just entertainment, although that is the main, one of the main goals. It's also good stories that, that are trying to, to elevate it beyond just being game tie-in novels kind yeah. of thing. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah. That being said for the Kings of war fans out there, um, I could tell as I was reading it, that there is a lot in there for the Kings of war fans too, including battles where I could, the way he laid out the battle, I could almost see it on the table with the uh, the ranks of soldiers advancing and making uh, maneuvers as he described them. And so I can only, well, I can only imagine for people who um, are familiar with the forces that, um, you know, he's talking about and the, the game that, that the, the pictures that you would have as you listened or read the stories of the battles that he's describing, that 
you know, you could almost almost see them. And uh, I thought he did a re- also a really good job on that aspect of it, too. Yes, absolutely. There's definitely nods to the community and and all of that as well. It is for all intents and purposes, for, for everything involved with that, it is a Kings of War novel as well. So absolutely. It's a good point to make. Um, so King, Steph's Deliverance clocks in just under 13 hours. If you listen to it at, at normal speed, which I cheat and I put it up to 1.3. <laughs> um, but um, so it's been very interesting listening to you talk at normal speed right now. I've <laughs> yeah. been kind of urging you to go faster here, but that's just because of <laughs> old habits. But so how long did it actually so and I know you probably don't keep maybe you do, but you probably don't keep track of every hour that you spend working on this. But about what is your estimate as to how many hours did it actually create take to create those 13 hours that we hear on the other end? Yeah, it uh, it takes a fair amount of time. So I don't keep like exact records of, of how long I'm in the studio recording. And uh, this book did take me a fair amount of time to to do uh, longer than I had initially uh, wanted it to for for various reasons, one of which was at least partially that uh, I was working on this book uh, into February and March this year when uh, a lot of things sort of went sideways. But uh, as a general rule of thumb for audiobooks, uh, your average narrator probably puts about six hours of work into every finished hour of audio. That includes the recording, uh, the proofing, uh, editing, all that stuff. Now, for me, I sub out my uh, my editing, uh, not my editing, rather. I sub out my proofing. So I record my audio, and I record using one method called punch and roll recording, which means that if I make a mistake that I notice, then I immediately stop, set my cursor back, and start up again from that point. I hear a little bit of my lead-in audio so I can talk along with it, and then I can just continue, and it cuts down on my editing a lot later on because I don't have bad takes that I have to go in and take out. But I do my recording, so I have my my finished chapter, and I send it off to my proofer, who they listen to it, comparing it to the text, and let me know all the mistakes that I missed while I was doing it, which um, there are plenty that I have to then go back and fix. I record new audio for that, and then I have to edit those in, and then I have to you know, check and make sure that there's no other problems with the audio before I can upload it. So that six hours of work, like there's a, a chunk of that that I'm uh, outsourcing uh, to my my proofer for every finished hour. But uh, but it's still, you know, between recording and editing and all that stuff, it, it takes a fair amount of time with everything I had going on. And as I mentioned before, I'm a, a part time narrator, so I only really get like uh, at the time it was a couple days a week or. Depending on the week, I might get a, a few hours a day here and there to record. What might take a full-time professional narrator one or two weeks to do takes me one or two months to do. Uh, fortunately, Vincent is very understanding and gracious and giving me the time that I need to finish my books. Certainly didn't have any um, issues there, uh, although I do try to be professional and stay by deadlines that I set. In this case, this one slips a little bit longer, and uh, it did take me um, more time. But like I said, uh, at a 13 hour book, uh, if you consider that six hour limit, we're talking about probably what, 78 uh, hours of work that went into it, which, uh, you know, it's it's uh, definitely takes some time. And especially with the dialects that I had to do, sometimes I'm going to stop and redo those took some extra time. But so if you, uh, you know, ever wondered, this is, and by the way, this is for a home recording, like some books that you'll listen to are um, by big publishers the narrator will go into a studio 
uh, and there'll be an engineer uh, working on the recording software, and there might even be a producer or director there helping them with pronunciations or or mistakes. So they'll be able to crank out uh, a lot of audio very quickly. For me, I'm recording this at my home uh, in my own uh, studio here. So I have to run the recording software and I have to check for mistakes and I have to do my editing. Uh, so uh, I'm wearing wearing a lot of hats and it just takes just takes time. A lot of the times we get caught up in what the final product is. And a lot of the times it's it's interesting, especially since this is such a uh, for lack of a better term, kind of a grassroots kind of of community that we have. It's all very small and it's and it's it's a tight knit and it's an awesome community but it's also still growing and developing and so it's kind of fun to pull back the curtain a little bit and see behind the scenes to see kind of all the effort that goes into the to, to a production like this you've, you've done a you've done an excellent thing for for the community you've helped produce this book uh well you you've you basically um, have done pretty much all all of the the recording and the editing and all of that to to bring us this this final production. How I don't know if you've had an opportunity really to interact with the community at all, um, but what has been your impression, especially as being someone that's newly come to the community? I don't want to call you an outsider because mm-hmm. you're you're a prominent player now because you've been you've produced something that reaches out to everybody in a and a piece of. Um, actual lore within the game, but uh, being someone that's newly come to it, what's been your impressions of the of the Kings of War community? And this this is actually something that I struggled with a little bit after the book came out, um, and I wanted to to promote it out there. And I'm trying to think of of how to do that, and I don't want to like then suddenly run out and sign up in a bunch of Kings of War communities and just saying like, hey, go buy this book that I recorded, because I don't want to be you know that guy that's just jumping in and <laughs> and just coming in to, to sell a book. It seems like the impressions I got having joined like the Countercharge Facebook group and in a few other places I've seen people talk about Kings of War, it, it seems like it's definitely a very uh, passionate group where people are really interested in, in trying to spread the word and get more attention for the game. And uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool to see that passion. I mean, there's in today's gaming world, you know, you do have like, the situation where um, you know people love their game and they want to and they want to put it out there. I don't know. It's I, from what I saw, like in the in the groups that I've been a part of, it seems like it's a very um, it's like it's got a, a really nice like positive angle as far as is trying to welcome people in, right? Sometimes these communities can like have gatekeepers, right? That are like you have to pass like a purity test of whether you're allowed to be a fan of of this thing, right? But that's that's not where I where I what I've seen from the the Kings of War community where where people are really interested in in bringing more people in and not trying to make sure that that only the right people are are in because you know gatekeepers suck. So that's it's it's been really cool so far as I've sort of started bumping up against the community to see see how they act. And this is the weirdest thing because uh, because I've been to to events for other gaming communities and all that kind of stuff, and sometimes they're not the first thing that I would recommend for it. But honestly, if you ever have a free weekend, I know those are those are rare and all that kind of stuff, especially being a parent and you know working and all of that other stuff that you have going on. But honestly, I would recommend. Um, because I myself, I live in the middle of I well, I live in southeast Idaho, surrounded by potato fields. 
<laughs> um, the closest city to me is about four hours away. But even so, uh, traveling to an event, and especially where you're there in Philadelphia, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of cool events back back east there where you're in that I would recommend going to a tournament or something along those lines, if you want to get to know the community. And this goes out to anybody who's looking to get into the community at all. And just seeing just how awesome these, these events are They're They're a celebration of the hobby. You see a bunch of people bringing really cool stuff and yet nobody downplays somebody who's still painting with, you know, Walmart paints and whatnot. Um, but they're willing to sit down with you and talk to you about stuff, whether that be the lore or whether that be tactics or whether that be painting tips or whatever it is that they have. Um, the, the best of the best are always willing to talk to you about these things and work through you with ideas that you have and, and just get together and, and, and be buddies together. And it's, it's a really cool community. So if you, I would recommend this to you, granted time mm-hmm. permitting and that kind of stuff, but but checking out one of the one of the tournaments or one of those types of things around your area would be an awesome way, and you could file it under research, right? Cha-ching. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's um yeah, it sounds like definitely a lot of fun. But uh, like you said, um yeah, free free weekends are far and far few and far between, and uh and these days with um with COVID, uh it's it's even harder. But I definitely um hope to be able to do something like that. Sometime in the future, we'll see. Like I said, I get uh, get these Rune Wars models painted up. Uh, find uh, find some that uh, rules out there that I heard might be available on the website from somewhere. I can't remember where I heard that from. Heard it somewhere, and uh, we'll see. Really, like having having done the book, you know, and uh, and sort of experienced the world from that angle, you know, it definitely makes me intrigued to um, to see see more about the game because uh, you know, like I'm getting to know characters and this world from i, I think is a fairly unique angle as because when you, you're an audiobook narrator like you have to get pretty deep into the book right more than just a, your average read um and and you have to get to know the characters in a different way than i think you usually do when you're just reading it and i know i listened to um to the, the last podcast uh we were talking about having more uh, character driven material from romantic games and the characters from the Seps Deliverance book, I think it would be it would be really cool to be able to um, to see those characters like taken and put out on the field, and you know having had like that connection with them uh, from from the book. So uh, it's something that I'll definitely be interested in in looking into once I get my models painted someday. <laughs> Bring them gray. Well, we there's no judgment here. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll judge me. That's pretty much all the questions that I had. Mark, did you have anything that you wanted to add? Well, I mean, the burning question is, Ray, how do you get assigned a book or something like that from Wing to Sar? How long have you been working with them? So It's been um, three or four years, I think. Uh, I think it was might have been 2016 when I, I first contacted uh it's actually I tried to tried to look it up in my email and uh, and I did a search for for Vincent's uh, email address and uh, I got to the end of like where I said no we're not going to show you any more results because it's too long ago so uh, yeah I sort of talked about how I got in with them and uh, you know if there's other narrators out there who are interested in doing some of uh, Wing Tazar's catalog then you know I definitely would recommend shoot Vincent an email I feel like we've got a, a good relationship where um, you know he obviously trusts me to to work with their properties and we've got a good comfort level with each other so I think it's 
pretty easy for both of us where um, it's easy for him to just give me the work uh, and it's easy for me to, to come and get it. And uh, I think it works really well for both of us. And I'm, I feel very fortunate to have built that sort of relationship with them. But, you know, they have a lot of books and, you know, there's really work out there for everybody. So if there's another narrator out there who wants to, I'm sure, you know, Vincent would be, you know, be happy to chat with you about it. feel like I'll probably be able to stick with uh, the Great Martian War books. I assume that usually listeners aren't a big fan when narrators change in a series. I feel pretty confident I'll, I'll be the narrator for those. But uh, but some of these anthologies or even other Kings of War books that might hit different regions or um, or sort of sections uh, that don't have a lot of character crossover would probably work with another narrator as well if uh, if you're interested in that sort of thing and it would obviously be up to the guys at winged his ours to what they decide they want to do the short answer uh, which i have a hard time with short answers i don't know if you've noticed the short answer is just ask <laughs> that's how you get the work you are aware there's another Kings of War novel that was published by Wing Tissar Publishing, right? I've I've heard about that, and you've um, heard about that. Yeah, I've, I've heard about that, and uh, I've um, got a real good impression of the author so far. Seems like a really cool guy, so I'm I'm hoping that I'll have a chance to take a look at it. But if you know someone out, else out there gets to it before I have a chance, uh, then all the power to them. The more audiobooks and and kings of war material out there i think it better it will be for everybody fantastic well so what you're telling us uh is that you haven't gotten your brief and you haven't started working on this uh drown secrets book i've heard about no not yet i am still trying to get started with the next uh, great martian war book from wing Czar that we have some uh production scheduling that we have to I have to work out with uh vincent I'm about ready to start recording that one, uh, but after that's done, and hopefully, I'm hoping we'll be able to have it out by the end of this year. Who knows? I leave it up to uh, Vincent to decide which books he wants me to to record next. So if any everyone out there um, really wants to uh, hear the Drowned Secrets audiobook, let Wingtazar know, and I'm sure uh, that sort of pressure will uh, help uh, make Vincent's decision for him. Big hint, hint, nudge. <laughs> well, it's not like uh, I have Vince or Brandon on speed dial or anything. Uh, I think Ben knows them, too. So, <laughs> All right. So what you're telling us is uh, we need to work on that. All right. All right. Well, there'll be uh, emails in the show notes so that you can put in your requests. That would be very, very cool. Yep. All right. So we'll have to wait. We've got a great Martian war book in the uh, in the way there. So, But it doesn't sound like it takes you that long to get it done. So if they get it out by the end of the year, so... If if I'm able to uh, to get started, you know, depending on schedules, if I'm able to get started pretty soon after the Great Martian War book, then I would expect that the Drowned Secrets, in theory, if that was the next book in the queue, would probably be able to be released um, early next year, you know, February, March timeframe. But obviously that's very hypothetical depending on, you know, Wing Tazar's uh, schedule and my schedule and uh, and what comes up in between. Uh, because these days it seems hard to plan for anything. So who knows what what next spring is going to be like. But that's probably about as early as, as we could see it at this point, February, March. Fantastic. And the best thing is I know uh, the original source you can go to for pronunciations. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. We got you covered, Ray. Sounds good. <laughs> it's, it's, that's, it's always always the fun part is, is figuring out how to say all the words. And then uh, sometimes, sometimes it's tough. It's like, okay, I, I, I can wrap my mouth around this one. Let me just, uh, just 
give me like three or four chapters of having to say it and then it'll start to come start to feel more natural mostly mostly the names all all fall in pretty well there's usually not too much trouble all right well hey why don't we go ahead we're gonna slide into another commercial break we'll come back on the other side we'll do shout outs and we'll wrap up the show We'll be back to countercharge after this brief message! I'm Grant Alexander from the Bexley Reapers, and you're listening to Countercharge. And welcome back. All right. Well, it's time for shout-outs. Ben, you're out there in Idaho, and still probably beautiful. End of, end of summer is here. Fall's going to be coming, so... Getting ready for first winter. Foreheads <laughs> into second winter. First winter? Okay, fill me in. I'm not from Idaho, so... Oh, Idaho, usually we have what's called the first false start winter that hits around end of October, 1st of November. We'll get like a snow flurry or two here and there, and then it'll be dry as a bone until about January. That's when real winter starts, and that goes from till about uh, middle of April usually. And that's where we get a, our, well, last year we had, I think it was like 36 inches of snow on average outside. And so... It was it was pretty miserable for it was a pretty bad winter. It didn't go away nearly soon enough, and so we're bracing ourselves for this year too. So see, and that's why you were so excited that uh, you were going to Adepticon, and then it got canceled. And it got canceled, yes. Oh, big weepy tears. Yeah, there's there's also a reason why I never plan a a tournament in the winter months here. So because even if people wanted to come, they probably couldn't. So. So any thoughts of uh, International Campaign Day or something like that uh, virtually, or is everybody burned out on, um, you know, doing the online games? Yeah, it's it's kind of fall under the same parameters as COVID. We originally were planning on doing January. I, it really depends on how COVID is affecting things because we don't want to encourage large gatherings if those are being discouraged. So it, it will probably make an official announcement, probably closer to the holidays, um, because if it is in January, well, what what else better do you have to do at that time than, you know, play a few games with your friends if it's available? We'll probably look closer at it come November or so and make an official announcement about it then. Sounds good. So do you still have the same crew set up for uh, running International Campaign Day or did you bring a couple new people on or is it still just kind of floating? Right now, the same people that were involved the last time, are we still have the chat available. Nobody's spoken in it for several months now, so uh, we've just been kind of waiting to see what, what kind of happens before we really get the, the fire stoked again. But um haven't brought anybody new on as of yet, Um and the, the old crew, well, like I said, we haven't spoken for a couple months. But as far as I know, everybody seems to be still there. And still in con, well, still able to be contacted. So nobody's blocked me on Facebook yet. So we'll put it that way. Sounds good. So Ray, any shout-outs for tonight? Sure. Um, I think I'll I'll probably take the easy route here and say if you would uh, look me up on Audible if you're interested in hearing Steps to Deliverance or any of the other books I've done. And uh, I'll shout out to uh, the uh, Winged Hazar guys, uh, Brandon and Vincent, for all the help that they've given me and all the work I've been able to do with them. And uh, like I talked about before, I'm working on these uh, Great Martian War books uh, by Scott Washburn. If you like the sound of a uh, alternate history, sci-fi, military, historical uh, novel, those uh, those are right up your alley. Like they, hopefully, they are up your alley, like they are up mine. I hope you'll be uh, kind enough to go in and uh, take a listen to the sample. And if you like what you hear, uh, give them a download and uh, let me know what you think. 
And uh, thanks to uh, to you guys here at Countercharge for having me on. I think that Penn and I were able to twist your arm that uh, maybe we want to run a contest. Is that what I remember? Yeah, I would be more than happy to give out a copy of Steps Deliverance audiobook to uh, one of your listeners if we've decided on how we're going to select the lucky winner. How about we do uh, comments in the show thread on the Facebook page over there uh, for the Countercharge podcast? So uh, all you got to do is uh, like the page and, you know, Jeremy or Rob or somebody will let you in and just find the uh, comment thread and go ahead and put in your comment and uh, you too may win an audio book. So Ray, we'll have to figure out a way to do that, a random draw or something like that. And then we'll go ahead and notify you and let you know. And then we'll get you all squared away with a free copy of the audio book. And there you go. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you. Can I add a stipulation there? Ben, you can change the contest any way you want. You have the power, my man. Be careful what, you, what you're handing out there. Um, but I would just say one thing is if you are selected for it, that and I'm, I'm going to sound like a broken record every time I've, I've come on here, is please leave a review on Amazon about it or on Audible, which is the same thing. But honestly, if we want more books, if we want more novels, if we want more stories – sales kind of drives that right and so the best way to get more sales is to talk about it and make noise about it so the more reviews we can give to things like steps to deliverance the audiobook or the the physical books or whatever it is that is being put out for wing from wings are for kings of war the more noise we can make about that the more reviews we can give the more content we're going to see created for that and so if you if you win this, stop once you've listened through it. Give it a quick you know star rating and two or three lines of text saying what you liked and whatnot about it, so that that helps generate more buzz about this project, about this product. So please, please, please review, review, review. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be detailed. But the more reviews, the more noise, the more pro- the more lore we get the more novels the more stories it really does help thanks for bringing that up Ben. definitely you need to make your voice heard like it's been a little while since we made this plea but uh we had duncan rhodes from the duncan rhodes painting academy on the show and we asked everybody and duncan actually asked you to go up to his website at duncanroads.com go into the contact us area there and you know, put in your request for Duncan to paint Kings of War miniatures. So maybe it's time for that second wave to hit. So if you uh, go back, listen to our Duncan Rhodes episode, check that out and go ahead and drop Duncan a line. And, you know, hopefully we can get him to paint some Kings of War miniatures. Right now he's doing all the Indominus, which makes sense. It's Games Workshop and, you know, very popular, etc. But hey, I like Kings of War, and Kings of War is popular to me. So if it's popular to you, go over there, DuncanRoads.com, check it out, and uh, start hitting Duncan with a couple of emails there. If you haven't done it before, please do it. It will certainly help the community. And then also, Wing to Star Publishing, go check them out. If you want to hear that Drowned Secrets audio book, go ahead, hit up uh, Vince and Brandon, and send them some emails and say, hey, we need to hear Bren's novel brought to life. So definitely, definitely do that and make your voice heard. We have the election coming up here in the fall, and everybody will tell you to go ahead and vote. And that's I'm going to give you the same advice, and I'm going to also tell you the same thing when it comes to your hobby. Contact those content creators, etc., and 
make your opinion known that uh, that's what you want to see. You know, that one voice, when you put up one voice, you represent about 20, 30 people that aren't going to do it. So please go ahead and do your own shout out and go ahead and contact those content creators. So thank you very much. So, Ray, any other shout outs for tonight or? No, I think I'm good. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. So, And for my shout-out, I am going to shout-out the brand-new Hobby Challenge. Go over to the Counter Charge podcast Facebook page, and you can check it out where the Hobby Challenge is posted. And if you uh, listen to our recent episode on burnout and the hobby, we're coming up with this on-the-spot Hobby Challenge. So here's where the rubber beats the road, so to speak. So starting Sunday, what is it, September, today's the 4th, so starting September 6th, it sounds like, once per week for six weeks, uh, Matt is going to go ahead and create a post, and you need to post anything that you've done in the hobby, and it can be anything. You might have finished a base, put a base coat of color on one model, painted the arm on a figure. It really doesn't matter. The idea is to just make some progress, any progress, and participate in the hobby. And this is not based on best hobby whatsoever. If you participate every week for six weeks, your name is going to go into the drawing, and you can win a $50, well, U.S. dollar, gift voucher for Mantic or your friendly local game store. You just let us know because, of course, we want to support our friendly local game store. So if you have any questions, you know, reach out to Matt on the counter charge page. Uh, go ahead and send him a PM or something like that. But, you know, please go check it out. And, yes, this is just a participation award. You don't have to win. You don't have to be the best. You don't have to worry about judges or anything. So this is a no-judgment zone. Just go ahead Post up your stuff, and uh, don't worry about it. We just want to see you hobbying. And uh, you guys know how gun-shy I am about posting my stuff, and so I plan on putting my stuff up there as well. So, If you don't mind non-Kings of War stuff, then uh, you might expect to see my Spearman up there next week too. There you go, Ray, and that's a good point. It can be anything. You're painting Space Marines? Great. If you're painting uh, you know, your Star Wars Legion, fantastic. Rune Wars, put it up there. You know, anything, anything counts for the hobby. So just go ahead and do that. Like we said, if you're doing bases, if you're doing terrain, you're doing some kind of 3D printing project, anything counts. Something in the hobby. And, you know, just go ahead and put it up there every time for six weeks and you can get, you know, you can get into the drawing. So, Ray, you're eligible. I'm not. Ben, you're questionable. No, you're definitely out. You're a host. So, but go ahead and post anyways, Ben. We want to see your sneak peeks of your hobby challenge. So, <laughs> so, but yeah, very cool. And if this turns out to be popular, we'll probably end up doing it again. So, but go check it out. And again, this is just participation award. We just want to see you doing something. Man, it'll be good for the community. If you want to pop into After Dark, you can do that. Go ahead and check that out. We actually have a counter charge After Dark page set up on Facebook. Go check that out. That will give you the link to the Discord server, and you can join the gang. We've had a couple of new people join the Discord server, which is fantastic. I'm hoping to jump in on that on Monday myself, and uh, hopefully enjoy a little holiday time uh, hobbying, So, which would be great. And Ray, hey, I'll encourage you to do that as well, and I will put the link in the show notes. We love to have you, Ray. It's a great group. We just kind of pop in and pop out. Sometimes I hobby by myself, but uh, hey, it is what it is. And, you know, it's a lot of fun and you get a lot of support from your fellow hobbyists. So, 
and uh, we'd love to see your face in the place. So, All right, well, I think that's going to do it for this episode. And, Ray, why don't you go ahead and take us out? Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. Basalia. Basalia. Basalia.